0: Welcome to the KBBV podcast. I'm your host Andy Davis, but that's not really important right now. The bit you actually need to know is that this is episode 2 of season 6, and we're off to a flying start with the first of a two-part special. Yes, indeed, a double whammy this weekend. Next, we're going to hear from a round table of top retailers discussing some of the biggest topics in the industry: post-lockdown business, supply chain problems, training and sustainability. And it's all such good stuff that I've decided to split it across two episodes. At the end of September, the KBSA ran a very successful conference, and part of it was a fascinating on-stage discussion between Rob Muscari of Muscari Design, Paul O'Brien from Kitchens International, Diane Berry from Diane Berry Kitchens, Keith Myers from the Myers Touch, and Tony Robson from Daytru. And we'll also hear from Dawn Short from Callerton and Stephen Johnson from Kuka representing the suppliers. That's quite the lineup, and there's a lot to unpick, but I've dug out all the best bits for your delectation. In this first part, we'll be looking at how their business has changed during and since the lockdowns, including some really interesting comments and opinions on working by appointment only. And then we'll move on to Sustainability Don't Turn Off because they're very candid about their views on who is responsible for what and whether consumers are actually bothered. But before we get started... Have you got your entries in yet for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2023? What do you mean, no? No. It's totally free to enter, and the closing date is 5pm on Thursday, November the 17th, with absolutely no chance of any extensions. Please believe me when I say that. If you're a fantastic retailer with an amazing showroom, we have categories for you. If you've come up with some brilliant kitchen and bathroom design projects this year, then we've got plenty for you too. If you're under 30 and you're making waves in your retail business, then you could be our rising star of the year. And if you're a great fitting business, then how about Installation Company of the Year? And for all the manufacturers, distributors and service providers, you can put forward the Supplier Team of the Year. Go to kdbview.com forward slash awards for all the details. So let's start our discussion with how kitchen and bathroom retail businesses have changed during and since the COVID lockdowns. It was, of course, a massive upheaval and made many question what they did and how they did it. Some of the conclusions were very positive and others not so much. For Diane Berry from Diane Berry Kitchens in Manchester, one of the biggest changes has been in the people that work for her. The pandemic has changed their expectations of work itself.
1: The one thing I have noticed is the people's mindset. The staff got used to being at home, so they don't want to do more than 40 hours really. They've realised that they want to have dinner with their kids. So you are emotionally getting attached to your team and understanding that they've seen a different life. So I've had one member that stayed working from home and I've had to learn to adapt to having somebody full-time at home and he's worked for me for 18 years. So he's a good guy. It's hard because you can't build a relationship the same. I mean, some days it gets to two o'clock and I realise I haven't said good morning to him because you're not into that. You're into what's going on in the studio.
0: Well, there's a positive flip side too, of course. For Diane, the clients have been through their own lockdown experiences and that has meant the increased focus on the home that so many retailers have identified.
1: It's great for business because they've all spent time at home. They all want nice kitchens. They all realise they needed bigger fridges. They all got, you know, need workspaces. They need spatial design. So they're working out where, where do they want to work? Where is the quiet space? You know, not so open plan. Maybe doors that slide across. So all the things that feed into our ability, and this is all of us to design amazing spaces.
0: Covid was a global event, but as far as Tony Robson from True in London is concerned, it has simply accelerated many trends that were already in progress, and that includes letting staff spend time working from home.
2: So go and sit at home on your own for a day and be able to sit down and concentrate and everything else. We sort of did embrace that a little bit pre-COVID anyway. Like I said, I just think it's speeding up now. But it's difficult. You know, everyone says like four, work, you a know, four-day week work from home. But we're a retail business where people come into the showroom and we have to interact with people. So it sounds great on paper, but it's a real challenge. If you're going into an office, I've got a friend who, you know, works for one of the big banks and he works from home. But it's easy because he can do it that way. Where we're having to interact with people in a showroom and, and I think all of us still believe the importance of a showroom? How do you you adjust to people working from home?
0: For Keith Myers from the Myers Touch in Winchester, he agrees that the experience of lockdown has fundamentally changed his clients. The time spent at home means they consider exactly what they're going to be using that space for and want a design that reflects their own specific needs and personality.
3: I think it's one of these things that I think took us all by surprise, probably nearly put us all out of business to some degree or that, that thought. But I think as we've come back in and the market has changed for us, I think there's no doubt about that. Clients are different. There's, in a sense, fewer of them now. They're coming in much more researched now, we're finding. They've already been on your website. They've already looked at a lot of detail. They've gone and looked at competitors. And everyone. They know it really, really well. And they're coming in now much more ready to go. I don't mind doing online things we've done some of that before we've sold kitchens before without meeting the client so that i think we're quite happy with uh, i think what we've done as, as a business is realizing that our customers are changing and they're not really buying kitchens anymore Now let me define what i mean by that it's not that they're not buying a kitchen of course they are but the kitchen now has changed its purpose over the last two or three years so we are now We've just gone through, we're changing suppliers, we're refitting our studio out, and we are now considering a completely different mindset with regard to how clients are coming in to our studio and the way that they're thinking now. And actually, we've always said we don't sell kitchens, and we don't. We actually sell things that do other things. And when you start thinking that way, it completely changes the way that you approach the market, the way you approach the clients, and what they're wanting from you. And they're wanting much more I think much more personalization now, much more individual uh, things because it's not just a white box on the wall anymore. It's actually where they're living so much more and it has so much more potency and the ability to input
0: into their lives in a much more powerful way. An interesting contrast to all this is the experience of the manufacturer. Office staff can work from home, but those on the production line can't. And managing that imbalance is really difficult, says Callerton MD, Dawn Short. But she says the most significant change wasn't directly related to people
1: at all. The big thing for us was technology. We really embraced technology during the whole COVID period gave us an opportunity to develop a whole new computer system, manufacturing system within the business, Mm -hmm. but also an opportunity to interact with our retailers. Having a national network of retailers, obviously from Inverness right down to to Surrey, it takes some doing, actually interacting with them, actually physically going there. Mm -hmm. So it was a great opportunity for us to really embrace the video conferencing side of things and um, we really found a benefit from that, don't get us wrong. We still really value the face-to-face contact, but you do see a real value in the uh, the video conferencing facility, and it, that that's what really resonated with us.
0: Now we all know Zoom was one of the biggest revelations of the lockdown, and there's no question that it allowed many retailers and manufacturers to carry on consulting with clients. The social distancing rules also saw another new way of working for many, seeing customers by appointment only. So one of the big questions of the day was very simple, who's still doing it? Here's Rob Muscari from Muscari Design in Nottingham.
4: Working by appointment only, What's beneficial? Because we can be focused. We can prepare for for somebody and we, you get the name, don't you? And I'm sure we all kind of first thing we do when you find out someone's coming, in you Google, see if you can sort of just get a bit of background info. And somebody just strolling in off the street, you might be unprepared. You might be with somebody else. You might be in the middle of something. You might be dashing off to another meeting. So you never get that time to, to sort of prepare for it. We fall into the hybrid category. Whilst we are open, we are actively doing things like just had a brand new website built and we have purposely not put on things like opening times and and everything is geared on every page to contact you, send you a message, try and contact you that way first of all to, to arrange your time or if you know you have some, something that suits. We've also actually just included on the website as well a WhatsApp button so that anybody can click and directly link to you, which again, we kind of felt was. I don't know, a way that a lot of people just feel comfortable communicating because it's it's more instantaneous than, than an email. A little bit more informal, so you can sort of just start a bit of dialogue with it. Moving forward, I'm sure probably all of us would in our hearts of hearts, like to be working on appointment-only basis, but maybe a bit of social pressure that's possibly driven that. You know, fundamentally, we're, we're probably paying heating bills and stuff, all, all that sort of stuff going on at the minute. We could be a bit more shrewd about this and sort of designate if we're going to go by appointment only. It could be three days a week where we don't we're not just heating spaces, lighting spaces for, for no purpose. So negligible, of course, in the whole grand scheme of things. But I'm sure there are a lot of benefits really if we if we can push and try to to keep that appointment-only basis.
0: This hybrid way of running appointments, walk-ins and Zoom is also the one favoured by Kitchens International in Scotland. By independent kitchen and bathroom retailer standards, it is a huge operation and as a result can often be a real bellwether for strategic trends. Here's Paul O'Brien.
5: Really, we work a, a hybrid model. We have six studios in Scotland, two of which are actually concessions inside larger furniture stores. So for appointments and presentations, it's always by appointment. But we do have an open door policy, so obviously clients can be walking into a studio. Moving forward, we probably will look to keep working the way that, that we work. Working online presentations, we, we do, like most people in here will do, team's appointments or Zoom's appointments and, and present online when the opportunity is, is relevant. But the model we work with is, is, is predominantly an open door policy for people walking through. It creates a kind of energy in the studio. Um, I think sometimes a closed door appointment can be a little bit sterile, whereas we find actually there's a, a bit more energy, a bit of when people are walking through and, and experiencing it.
0: Back with Keith Myers at the Myers Church, for him appointments are much more about just convenience. For him, they give an indication of what type of client he may be dealing with.
3: It's a form of qualification of a lead, which I think is quite an important thing. Somebody who makes an appointment uh, is qualifying themselves to you to some degree, rather than just wandering off the streets. The The other thing is people that are of high value, you book appointments to see them. (laughs) I don't want to go in on a Saturday and sit there waiting for somebody to turn up Get, get this the sense of what I'm saying here. I, I'm more important than that. I'm more special than that. The gift and skill that I have and the ability that I have, I want you to get the best out of me. And therefore booking an appointment is also affirming the value that we have as designers and the skill that we bring it isn't just sat there loosely waiting for someone to come. It's really, mm. really important what we do. And because we're in, it's important what we do,
0: you need to book an appointment to see us. Now, there's no one-size-fits-all answer to whether to lean heavily on appointments or not. I'm sure many retailers would love to adopt Keith's approach, but it's simply not practical for their own individual business or, crucially, location. Here's Tony Robson again.
2: We have a showroom on Wimbledon Village High Street, which is a high street location which we pay a premium for and footfall is is a big part of our business you yeah. know and it is high net worth individuals walking in by the nature of where it is so what we then concentrate on is giving them a great experience yeah. when they come in and, and making them feel special making them feel at home which is a big thing that we talk about and it is part of our model
0: now a lot of this debate centers around customer service of course and whether or not these policies or strategies benefit both the retailer and the client Diane Berry, for example, has a very different approach again. She doesn't operate by appointment only, but she doesn't accept just anyone wandering in either. She keeps the door locked. Now, while that may sound harsh when you put it that bluntly, the reality is based on much more sound principles.
1: The person rings the bell. So if I was going to Cartier or Gucci or anywhere, you're going to ring a bell and you're going to be greeted at the door. So then that means we get to the door we invite them in and we ask them if it's all right, we can take them around our studio. What we found when the door was open, they just walk in and start looking. And then you're trying to catch up with them to yeah. say, can I show you around? No, oh, no, 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 we're just looking. We don't have any of that anymore. They walk through the door because we've greeted them in and therefore we are in control. And that allows you to do, open this cupboard, close that cupboard, the door does this, the oven does that. You get to down your studio. So don't worry about being locked door if you're frightened of appointment only just lock the door with a bell on it and then you get to meet and greet as you would if you're going to any jewellers. If you're going to anywhere, you're you're not just going to walk in the door, you're going to ring a bell and be be welcomed in. I mean, we can get partway through and say, well, listen, I'm going to let you have a look, but I'm going to make you a lovely coffee or a cup of tea. What would you like? And then you can demonstrate your appliances. So we, we don't serve bottled water. We would always serve Kuka cube water. But you do, you're in control. So we also, we have coffee cups to go. So that if the client is leaving to take his dog for a walk so we're next to a park, we would ask them if they're leaving, would they like a hot drink to go? And then you, you just get a completely different expression because then they're walking out with a nice hot cappuccino or something in their hands. So it's all about building a relationship. But you are always in control.
0: Let's move on now to that most paradoxical of issues facing not just retailers, but the whole industry. And that's what do we do about sustainability? We all know it's vitally important to, you know, the future of the human race. But right now, the human race doesn't seem that interested in it when buying a new kitchen or bathroom. For Stephen Johnson from Kuka, the problem lies in the overcomplicated language we use to describe the problem and the lack of simple solutions put in front of the consumer.
2: I think as a, as a country, we make sustainability complicated And we talk about emissions. And for me, it it disengages a lot of people. I think we have to look at how we can use sustainability in our business and to our advantage. And for me, that's talking about simple things, specifying appliances that save energy, save water, save money, Not, not any appliance. And we have to talk in terms of the benefits to the customer. Because for me, when I've invested in sustainable products, although there might be an upfront capital cost, ultimately... I save money. But I don't think as an industry we explain to customers how being sustainable actually will save them money. And I think if we can do that, then it it prevents a really significant sales tool as well.
0: The truth is that with a lack of consumer demand, it is almost inevitable that legislation will continue to be the only thing that forces businesses to change what they do. And by consequence, force customers to change their habits. We're already seeing plans to make retailers display water labels on all products in their showrooms. And if you heard last week's podcast, you'll know that retailers will soon be responsible for the correct disposal of any waste generated during installation. Here's Tony Robson.
2: I think it's a shame that legislation might drive it because um, it shouldn't be that way. But I think it's important that legislation does drive it because there's an apathy. You know, what we've talked about today, there needs to be more education. And, you know, I listened to a podcast, funnily enough, it was one of Andy's podcasts where they were talking about this subject. And the people that were on it said it's the manufacturer's responsibility. Sustainability is the manufacturer's responsibility was the words used. And I just don't, I don't, totally don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. It's all our responsibility. If we all do a little bit, it will go a long way. But there seems to be a real apathy to me. Leave it to someone else to do.
0: That was Tony Robson, and if you're interested in the previous episode of the show he's referring to there, it's episode 5 of season 5, and I'll put a link to that in the description. Now, for Keith Myers, legislation needs to be applied in the right areas. There are low-hanging fruit in the world of kitchens that could make environmental changes much more significant than those achieved by targeting individual retailers, he says. House builders specify kitchens that are low quality compared to the value of the property, and new owners will almost certainly rip them out as soon as they move in.
3: We were asked to quote for a £1.2 million house and asked what the budget for the kitchen was and he said £12,000. Well, they're ripping the client off, aren't they, really? If you're in the kitchen industry, they're ripping the client off to sell a million-plus house and spend £10,000 on the kitchen. So if I spent a million pounds on the house, I'm going to be changing that kitchen quite quickly. Well, where's the environmental aspect of that? That is much more, in a sense... I think should be legislated so you guarantee a kitchen has to last for 10-15 years from the point where, where the quality that you're putting in has the ability to last.
0: So what does sustainability actually mean when it comes to kitchens? Is it solely about what it's made of or is it, as Keith says, simply about how long it will last? Rob Muscari has done some research into this very subject.
4: I did a project a few years ago with some of our students from, from Bucks Union. We actually did a lot of research into sustain, sustainability to actually design and build a sustainable kitchen. By that, what we actually really mean is an ecologically lasting kitchen. Mm. Now, again, you can break this element down to, if you're talking carbon footprints, there's basically four different processes or periods of a product's life. So raw material, chopping a tree down, transporting it from there to factory. Then there's the processing in factory to product. Then there's the, the life cycle of the product, And of course, the end of life. And those are the kind of the four key issues. But again, you know, the most sustainable way is you basically chop a tree down in your back garden, build a kitchen out of it. But in reality, that can't happen. So we looked and did a lot of research into what would be a very sustainable, probably the most sustainable sheet material to buy. And we actually studied the entire carbon footprints of it. And, you know, we kind of set out thinking we were going to find it was going to be some sort of recycled plastic bags or whatever like that. But actually, when, you, when we looked through the whole thing, the most sustainable products with the lowest carbon footprint on it was actually a birch ply because it's really simple in its nature. It goes through minimal sort of processes. It can be sourced locally within Europe from FSC or PEFC certified forests. But actually sort of key point to this is the most important part about it is how long it lasts and what you can do with it at the end of its life. And over you know, my lifetime, recycling has been very much recycle, 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 recycle. But in an environmental sense, it's very much second best to reusing a product. So how do we look forward to, man- well, how do manufacturers look forward to what to do with the kitchen at the end of its life, if it's to repurpose it to, to sell it on as another kitchen, or whether it's to repurpose it in another part of your property. These are all things I think could be looked at.
0: The principles of circular economy, legislation, manufacturing are all vital and highly relevant, of course. But part of the problem is how this trickles down to the shop floor. What can and are retailers doing to help the cause in their day-to-day business? And what does that mean for their customers? For Diane Barry, it's about the sum of many parts.
1: Well, we try to just do the small stuff because I think it's like saving a penny saves a pound. So so we, you know, all of our, all our papers recycled. All the card that comes off the kitchens is 100% recycled. We we recycle our polystyrene. We recycle all the wood. So we have containers. In the yard, where we are collecting every product that we use and recycle it. So we're trying to. We're in the process of trying to reduce the paper that we use. We've stopped using glossy papers. We don't print visuals on glossy because it can't be recycled. We've got two car chargers at the side, on the built onto the side of the studio. We've got heat recovery system in the studio. We don't use gas. We don't promote gas. So we fight really hard to show them and demonstrate that induction is the future. And we try to sell the right rated appliances. So if I can get someone to buy a fridge freeze and spend a couple of hundred pound more, I'll be telling them that they will save that money after so many years. And again, I, I sell high quality kitchens. So again, fit them well, install them well, make them last. We recycle all the kitchens that we remove if we can. So nearly all of the kitchens we take out are sold by the used kitchen exchange.
0: All these small things add up to something really good, of course. But sadly, much of it goes unnoticed by many clients. And actually, talking it up can often lead to more difficult or distracting conversations.
1: Do you know it's a really hard conversation to have because you'd be amazed how many people just come back at you and say it all goes in the same tip in the end and you just think like think so that. then you end up having a negative conversation so we tend to just do what we do and the yeah. people that are genuinely interested in it will ask the question and you can say we do yeah. this we do this we do this yeah. but we try not to bang on about it because then they just want to pick up on on the stuff you're not good at and you just think well what conversation am I having with this client and you actually need to be on the right level that you're not having a conversation that's getting you sidetracked yeah. from the genuine. Thing which is building a relationship, loving your client, getting them to love you. If you've got a client that's green-friendly, you need to know some of the stuff to prove that you do it. In Manchester we have an area, it's called Chiltern. Everybody there is green-friendly. You know, you've got to know your stuff. They're interested in how you upcycle, recycle, and so on. So as long as you know your stuff. But as a company we try to do it. It's hard to tick all the boxes, but just know your stuff, but do the easy stuff.
0: That's it for part one of this special two-part, and next week we'll be looking at the continually thorny subjects of disruptions to the supply chain, otherwise known as the game of where's my ovens. And we'll also look at training the next generation of retailers, designers, and fitters. I promise you it's really cracking stuff. So to make sure you don't miss it, follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're doing that, and while you're there, why not leave us a nice review? Go on. If you don't already, you can subscribe to our email newsletter. And did you know you can also get the full digital version of the monthly KBB Review magazine delivered to your email inbox too? Go to kbbreview.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. And, of course, don't forget to get your entries in to the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2023. You can get all the info at kbbreview.com forward slash awards. See you next week.